You know, it's wonderful how the church continually takes us back to those first chapters of Genesis in order to illuminate and help us understand where we are now, to understand the situation and circumstances and struggles of our life. So, the scene from Genesis is what happens right after creation. God begins a family. He creates the first two children of that family, Adam and Eve. And it says that God breathes into them his spirit, which is a clear revelation that God made us for relationship. God made us to be in relationship, to know the most unbelievable gift, which is to be in friendship with God. And for this, they were given freedom. Where there is love, there needs to be freedom. Without freedom, there's no love. Love is the free gift of myself to another. And it's freely receiving the gift of another to me. They were placed over all creation like a king and a queen. They were to have master, to have mastery over themselves and to be stewards of the whole earth. There was no death, no disease or sickness, no suffering or pain, and therefore no such thing as tears of sadness. So the question then is, why does God allow temptation to enter in this moment. We know from Scripture that God is not the source of temptation. God tempts no one. But we come to find out that temptation is allowed as a kind of test, a way for freedom to be exercised and expressed. When that freedom is tested, will they still be faithful to God? Will they still choose to love God? Will they choose to remain masters over themselves and stewards of the goods of the world? What will they do with their freedom? And so in comes this figure that represents Satan. And a snake is a very good representation because of how cunning and deceitful Satan can be. And Satan knows that if he is going to succeed, he has to somehow separate Adam and Eve from God. Jesus refers to Satan as a father, but not a father of truth. 
He is a father of lies and referred to as a thief because he wants to steal away what belongs to God. And so if he's going to succeed, he has to separate them from God the Father if he is to insert himself as their new father. And how does he go about it? He sows a doubt. Did God really say? And that doubt opens the door for him to move in further and to put his own spin on things, which is what he's always doing. No, God knows that if you eat of this tree, you will be like God and you will know good and evil. He has to disfigure the face of God and he casts him in the light of a tyrant, someone who is not really for their good and therefore someone who cannot be trusted. Someone who's against human flourishing and freedom. And if that's true, then what is the only response? I must now take my life in my own hands. I will decide my own destiny. I will determine what happiness is for myself. I will decide what is good and what is evil based on what I feel. This is what they do. And so that mastery that they enjoyed, which was a result of their surrender and obedience to God, it all unravels. Rather than the goods of the world being subject to them, their body being subject to their soul and their soul subject to God, when that first relationship is broken, now they become slaves of the very things they used to be masters over. Satan didn't tell them that. And this is how Satan, as their new father, exercises power over us. We now become enslaved to the things of this world, which breeds the enslaving sins of greed, selfish ambition, jealousy, envy, covetousness, luxury and the accumulation of things to the detriment of the poor. Man now becomes a slave to his bodily desires and passions for pleasures, which breeds those enslaving sins of gluttony, drunkenness, lust, and sloth. And then he becomes a slave to his own pride, a slave to the ego. I will not serve I will yield to no one. I will control my life and my destiny. 
What a lie. <laughs> what a lie that has led to the miserable, struggling condition that we often find ourselves. This is why Jesus came. This is why he needed to come as the new Adam. But he comes as the faithful son of the father. And by his coming, he heals all of our broken, misunderstood relationships of God. <clears throat> I mean, our images of God. And he faces Satan with us and for us. So that we can stand in his victory as he binds the strong man Satan and takes back what he stole. And we can take our rightful status as beloved sons and daughters, as kings and queens over the earth. And with Jesus, we can now become masters once again over ourselves and over the things of the world. And do you see how fasting, prayer, and almsgiving fits right into this because those three areas of enslavement to things, to pleasures, and to the ego is the root of all sin. And these are the three areas where Jesus was tempted. And these are the areas where fasting, prayer, and almsgiving bring the medicine it's all about relationship. Prayer rectifies our relationship to God. As we humbly, we humble our ego. We allow our pride to be purified. And we once again surrender to that freedom that is our greatest joy. A friendship with God. Fasting rectifies our relationship with the pleasures of the body and doesn't allow them to usurp this greater gift of love of God and neighbor. And almsgiving rectifies our relationship with our neighbor and the goods of the world that we use them to generously serve one another and especially to serve the poor. The wisdom of God is so amazing here. And this is why we need prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, not just during Lent, but every single day of our life so that we do not become slaves again, but we remain free as sons and daughters of God. Do you need Lent? Do I need Lent? The answer is yes. Because Lent is a season, a season of freedom where God wants to deepen that freedom, increase it, and establish it as a permanent condition of our life. Freedom to love God above all things. Freedom to love our neighbor as Christ has loved us. Amen.